Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is John Davis. After having 19 different intuitive readers tell him of the same past life, John decided to have a past life regression, and in doing so, he experienced that past life with Jesus. John, thank you so much for joining us today, and welcome. Well, Jeff, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here and share this story because it's, I think it's, a, it's a, an interesting story, but I also think it has some great messages in it as well. All right. What is the past life that they were telling you about? <laughs> well, let me just give you that in a, in a, a quick story. I was a, a Renaissance Festival performer all over the country for many, many years, and I was traveling all over doing a comedy sword fighting show, and I found myself at a party in Canada and with a group of friends who were also Renaissance Festival performers and a woman across the room started staring at me. And I thought, all right, this woman's checking me out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and what happened was she ended up standing up, walking across the room and she says, you know, you were John the beloved, right? And I was like, uh, who, who, you know, who are you? <laughs> you know, it was very strange. And then I found out from other people that she was psychic and there was all these things. And I, I grew up as a Catholic boy and my mom had her master's degree in liturgy. Catholics are, I mean, are, are not very happy about psychics in general. And so we don't, we don't go down that route. So I was like, okay, thank you very much. Move on. Right. Mm-hmm. So then I went to a holistic festival with a friend of mine who was selling, I forget what she said, incense or something at this holistic festival. And I went to visit her and I was walking down past where all the, all the readers were and this woman literally stops her reading and runs out and grabs my arm. They're saying, you know, you're John the Beloved, right? And I was like, oh, my God, stop this crap. You know, don't, don't go there, please. And then I'm at a Renaissance Festival in Maryland. And I'm talking to a friend of mine. We're just sitting on a bench talking. And in the middle of the conversation, she says, you know, you were John the Beloved, right? Well, this happened over and over and over again, 19 of them. And I'm like, no, I don't want this. I don't, you know, I'm not going to be the guy who thinks he's Napoleon. You know, I I don't want any of this crap. And I found myself after 19 of them doing saying, okay, I'm not believing psychics. There's got to be another way. And I found a past life regression therapist in Washington, D.C., who who took me in. And um, I went in and at at this point, I had already been a meditator for many years. I was very much into into my personal growth already. And. So I went in and I sat down and she she led me through a hypnoregression. It took two sessions. The first session is me get, getting used to her voice so she could regress me. And then the second session was the actual regression. And when she regressed me, it was unlike anything I'd ever experienced in my life because it was literally viscerally being there. I could feel the wind. I could smell the air. Uh, I could feel the, the the stones in the sand beneath my feet. Um, and I was sitting there on the beach and I had what looked like nets in my hand and I was obviously tying them like repairing rips in the nets. And I'm working on this, this net like this and looking around 
and I see a boat on the shore and the boat had a very specific feature on it that had this like the big C-shaped hook on the front of it, which I had never had no idea. I'd never seen that on a boat before. And then I, you know, and I would look at, look down and I'm wearing this, this little thing that looks like a mid thigh sort of tunicky thing. And I'm like, okay, this makes no sense because apostles all wore robes, didn't they? Right. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, after doing a little bit of research, after the fact, I discovered that the C-shaped hook was on Galilean fishing boats. They would cast their nets off to the side, and then they would use this hook on the front to hook their rope in and pull to, so that the nets would come beside the boat so they could pull the fish in. And what I was wearing is something known as a fisher's coat, because when the fishermen in that time period would go out in the boats, they wouldn't wear their robes because if you fell in the water full, covered in robes, you would drown. Mm. So they wore this thing called a fisher's coat, which is what I was wearing. And it's ref- it's actually referenced in the Bible. But I'm sitting there and I'm working on these nets in my fisher's coat with my boats off to the shore. And I look over to my left and there's a group of people and they're very excited. And I get up and I walk over just to see what it is. And as I get there, I push my way into the crowd, and there, standing in the middle of this crowd, is this guy who I referred to as Yeshua ben Joseph. Um, but when I saw him, I, I, you hear me start to gasp in the in the regression. And the regression is available on my website if people want to get that. Um, but I see him in front of me, and I'm getting anxious, and I'm, I'm panting. I'm, I'm, you know, and she says, "What is it?" I said, "It's him." <laughs> right. And I, that's all I could say. And he, he looked at me, he walked over and he put his hand out and he placed his hand on my chest. And I had an experience where I experienced my oneness with unconditional love without any of my fears or anxieties. And I literally left this plane and the regressionist is very confused. She's sitting there saying, because you know, she's hearing me go, oh, um, and I actually, when I, <laughs> when, when I released my regression, I had to t- take a chunk of the audio out because it sounded like I was, you know, <laughs> well, never, I will say what it sounded like, but right. it sounded, I was moaning for a long time. Right. <laughs> um, and she says, are, are you with him or are you him? And my response is, I'm within him. And um, I was experiencing the oneness, the unconditional love of God's source consciousness, yada, yada, whatever you want to call it. And I was just immersed in it. And then she, the regressionist says, let's go to the next important moment. And the next important moment was him walking away, letting me feel all my fears and anxieties again. And suddenly I go, I have to be with him. I, I have to go. You know, and as a Catholic, you always wonder why the apostles would just get up and walk away from their life. Mm-hmm. Well, now I knew completely why. He showed me a glimpse of everything, and it's all pure, unconditional love. And then he took it away, and I was like, oh, crap, I got to go with him. Mm-hmm. And so that was that was the introduction. Then as she was leading me through, the regressionist was following her standard procedure, and she says, how would you feel about seeing his death? Now, in her mind, she was thinking the death of John. But in John's life, the only thing that was important was Jeshua and Joseph, Jesus. And so I went and I witnessed the crucifixion in my regression. Mm. And you hear me in the regression screaming at the top of my lungs. And, you know, and she had to bring me back out of it. And then after, the, after it was all said and done, 
and there was all kinds of interesting messages that came out in the regression as well. After it was all said and done, she told me that she led me to the death because she wanted me to have a truly emotional experience so that I could know that it was a reality, not imagination. And so what happened after the fact was for several years, that channel of the regression kind of remained open. So I would have these moments where I would sit down in a chair and be back remembering that life again. And I ended up becoming um, a speaker on the topic. I spoke at unity churches all over the country and holistic centers. And I, I spoke at the Edgar Casey Association for Research and Enlightenment groups in Virginia Beach, Houston, and Portland, Oregon. And I was, my goal was to, to bring forward the teachings that I was learning from that past life because it it wasn't christianity it was more of a of a buddhist sort of teaching than it was than it was a christian teaching and so i was teaching that but what happened was 15 years ago when i was doing this everyone gets so wrapped into who i was that they weren't hearing what i was teaching and i discovered i was becoming a crutch for people people would come to see me so they could come say they've seen john and it got it got really bad to the point where it's like I just had to stop doing that work. So I I stopped doing that work. I went off and I became a corporate speaker and just took a, another career entirely. But I kept sneaking my messages into the corporate environment using their vocabulary. Mm. Um, and then five weeks ago, I was basically told to get back to work, and I booked a um, an interview with uh, Kim Carey of the Intuitive View YouTube channel. And on the morning of that interview, I, <laughs> I had put up my YouTube channel. Uh, two of my friends and my sister signed up as subscribers. So I had four subscribers. Mm-hmm. We did the interview. The next morning I had 300 subscribers and, <laughs> and it was great. overnight. And in the past five weeks we've done, I put up 92 videos talking about the teachings that I've learned from that past life. Let me ask you a few things right off the bat. When sure. you say John the Beloved, is that the same thing as John the Baptist? Nope, nope. And I, oh. that's that's probably the number one question I asked. Well, I'm glad I John, asked. Okay. Yeah, okay. John the Beloved was the um, the the man in the wilderness who foretold of Jesus's coming, and John the Beloved was one of the apostles. So that's John the Beloved. John the Beloved was, whenever you see the paintings of the Last Supper, right. John the Beloved was the the one, the, the little waif that everyone says looks like a woman in the painting. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, that's John the Beloved. John had a brother. His name was James. Mm-hmm. They were the sons of Zebedee. Um, and my name uh, was Yehannes ben Zebedee. And Jesua, Jesus, called me Hannah. And so I have those very visceral memories. The, the biggest message out of the whole thing is that, that Jeshua ben Joseph was a man mm-hmm. who had a who had a greater understanding of his connection to source. Mm-hmm. He was not the, he was not a separate entity that we bow down to. He was a man with with information telling us what we can do mm-hmm. to reach reach his level. Mm-hmm. And that's interesting that his name is Jeshua ben Joseph. Yeah, ben that, meaning son of Joseph. Son of Joseph. Okay. Did people yeah. at the time call him Jeshua, or what? Were, what was he referred to as? Uh, his nickname was was Isa. Um, and what's really interesting about that is if you read the Quran, they refer to him as Isa in the Quran. And if you go to India and you're traveling through India, which I've spent some time in India, 
Um, they'll tell you about the prophet Isa who traveled all through India, and they'll tell you exactly when it was. And then when you ask them what happened to Isa at the end, they say he went back to his country and was crucified. Basically, the time that, that Jesus is not in the Bible between the childhood and when he comes back at 30, mm-hmm. that whole, all those years, mm-hmm. according to the Hindus, he was traveling in India and studying with gurus and teachers and and um, they can tell you right where he was, and they have the whole story of, of the prophet Isa in India. And so um, it's fascinating because now after hearing the name Isa, um, I met a, somebody else who had a past life memory of that time period, and she remembers calling him Isa. Hmm. Now, when I look back, I, <laughs> and I don't know whether it's my modern interpretation or not, my nickname that I, that I kind of give him now is Jesh. <laughs> You're right. But they, they supposedly, you know, called him Isa because that's what the she got. That's what the Quran says. That's what the Indians say. So I'll go with that as at the as the nickname. I believe I've seen a video a long time ago that said after Jesus was resurrected or whatever happened to him, he didn't die and and from the crucifixion. He went back to India and he finally died there. And I think they have like his grave. Um, protected like 24 hours a day. Do you, do you know anything of that story? Uh, that's, that's the first time I've heard that. I've heard multiple stories, and I can tell you the things that I have from memory. I remember the crucifixion very viscerally. Uh, I remember carrying him to a tomb. So I know he went to a tomb. I remember seeing him after that. And I remember dropping to my to my face in the sand in front of him thinking, oh, my God, what am I seeing? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, there's, in a lot of the Hindu texts, they talk about the, the, the uh, a lot of the gurus would do things like they would come to a raging river and the river would be raging and they, like, they couldn't wade across it. So what they would do is they would project their, project their consciences to the other side of the river and then re-manifest their body around it. Mm-hmm. And it's my belief that what, what, what the resurrection was, was Yeshua left the body and went to, the, went to his higher consciousness, or what I would call his Holy Spirit self, because I believe the, the interpretation of the Trinity is wrong. I believe the Holy Spirit is our essence without fear, and we come into this body to experience fear so that we can have a reference so that we can understand love fully. You have to have the opposite scientifically have our baseline to understand that connection. And what I believe happened with, with Jeshua was he went to his, his higher form, his higher self, and then re-manifested the body to, to teach. But then I believe he also went back and stayed on the other side afterwards. Um, I, I, I don't know whether he went to India or not, but I do remember, like I said, I remember carrying him to being one of the people helping carry him to the tomb. I also have very, uh, powerful memories of both his wife and his mother living with me after the after the death. Um, his wife was was Mary Magdalene, mm-hmm. uh, and then his mother, of course, Mother Mary. But um, they they came and they stayed with John in Galilee, and and eventually, what happened was uh, Mary Magdalene's parents or family came to Galilee to get her and take her back to Magdala, and then um, Mother Mary died there in, in, in Galilee. And that's when John went back on the road teaching. He didn't leave them until they, till they were taken care of or, or gone. 
do you remember if Mother Mary had any abilities at all or anything like yeah, that? She understood her divinity, but that but that's an interesting statement because she also understood everybody's divinity. She understood that we all have the same potentials. And just like her son would say, you know, greater works than I've done, you will do. He, she believed that it was everyone's potential. She, everyone talks about the special abilities. Um, you know, there's a, let's just to talk about what the biggest special ability that everyone talks, that everybody knows is the healings, right? Jeshua was, was someone who truly understood that, he can come there with healing intent, but unless the person takes the belief in the healing, it'll never happen. And that's why you hear in the, in the Bible, it says, uh, it's your faith that heals you. Mm-hmm. Something else that's in the Bible that doesn't get talked about was um, the disciples and, and, and Jesus would bypass a city known as Beth Shean, which is the ruins of Beth Shean are there. And they, they, you know, they know which city he's talking about. They wouldn't go to Beth Shean because they knew him as the son of a carpenter and the healings wouldn't happen there because they couldn't put faith in the son of a carpenter. Yeah. And so it all comes down to uh, coming with healing intent and being a vessel for healing to come through, but nothing happens without the person taking the faith because it's, we are the creators of our experience. And so when, when I started doing work as it, myself, I would do the same thing. Mary would do the same thing. She would come there with healing intent. And then both her son and her were very good at, at talking people into belief. Hmm. We're, we're showing them what to believe or putting belief in something in the healing. And so she special abilities. Yes. She had a special abilities of, con, of convincing people to take the healings and take that work. Does that make sense? Yeah. Did you get any indication if Jesus was of a divine birth or Joseph was his father? Joseph was his father. That's what we were always told. Mm. Joseph died before the crucifixion. Um, what I find interesting is, is when I, I'm a scientifically minded person, typically. That's why I went to a regression therapist rather than listen to psychics. Mm. It wasn't my thing. Mm. So when all this started happening, I started doing as much possible research as I can. And one of the things that I found really really fascinating was how many virgin births there were. Mm. And in, I mean, Horace was a virgin birth. The majority of the virgin births that you hear about in history were Roman mm. or Roman virgin birth. Um, even Plato is said to have been born of a virgin. Mm. So it was a very big virgin birth uh, thing in mythology back then. And so most of the mythologies that have been wrapped around Jeshua didn't happen until 325 when the Nicene Council was created by Constantine. And he started putting a lot of Roman and pagan thought on it. That's why the holidays are where they are. The holidays are all placed around pagan holidays so that it's easier to transition pagans into Christianity. Mm. Um, so there's a, there's a lot going on there. Um, and it's one of the things that I find, I consider myself a recovering Catholic, right? Because I'm still dealing with some of the guilt <laughs> that was thrust upon me at birth, right? You're a sinner, right? Um, but um, when, I look at, when I look at it now is, is the story that, that I know to me is more miraculous because he could be divine, which makes him separate and different. And, and you know, but what he always said was, you know, no, I, I am just doing what you're capable of. And this is how you do it. At one point, he says, um, "He says, uh, 
I have conquered the world, so you don't have to lament. And he's not saying I, he's not saying he himself, he's saying, look, I'm proof. You don't have to worry about this because look, it can be done. Mm. And that was the thing that always amazed me is that the story of this person who had, who reached this enlightenment and this this level of achievement and was telling us this is how you do it, this is what what, what it is, is is a much better story than a virgin birth in my in my opinion. Did you get any indication of the history of his life? Like, how did he set off on his mystical journey from the first place? Yeah, well, actually, I, I'm very fortunate because I did have a lot of memories of talking with him directly. And um, he he was, you know, let me let me let me put it to you this way. Um, when children are born, they are closer to the other side than we are. They have just come from the unconditional love of source, right? My son, when he was six years old, told me flat out, he says, God, God told me, Daddy, God told me. He's in everything and everyone, and we control the God part inside of us. And that's what my son told me at six. Mm-hmm. Jeshua was one of those kids who came through remembering his higher self, remembering the information from his higher self. So he started teaching at a very young age. And, you know, and there's a story in the Bible. He goes to the temple and all the elders are surrounding him because he's teaching as a child. Mm-hmm. And then what happened was as he started teaching, he decided to also learn and study. And that's when he went off to India and traveled around and, and spoke and taught and, and learned from all kinds of people, all kinds of um, gurus and teachers. And also he taught them as well. And then when he came back to Israel after his travels, he brought back not only the, his, his innate knowledge from higher self and higher source, but you know the, the teachings and the trappings of others as well. And he brought it back and it made it, made it real, made it realized or realizable, more better word, makes it so we can realize it, we can create it. And so he was creating these, this, this method of saying, okay, do this, do this, do this. And it really came down to the fact that our fears literally are our fears. We, we have these fears specifically to measure and feel the, the separation of source, because in reality, the separation of source itself is, is a gift. Because if you were constantly in unconditional love all the time, you wouldn't know what it was without feeling the opposite. And the fear is what he was teaching. So he was saying, yes, you know, though you walk through the valley of the shadows from the Old Testament, right? Those kind of teachings of, of you know, your fear is there and you're going to experience it, but realize that you are more than your fears. You are greater than your fears. The toughest thing is, and when I do my personal studies, I go back and I look at all the old Testament and everything. The story of Adam and Eve to me is a fascinating story because not to mention the fact that their, their kids suddenly found wives, which I have no idea how that happened. But, (laughs) um, but when you, when you listen to that story, they always try to make Eve out as the villain. But, and, you know, there was a serpent there as well, right? Um, and, but what was, the, what was the real transgression that happened in that story? It wasn't the, the serpent. It wasn't Eve. It wasn't Adam. It was plucking from the tree of knowledge. Plucking from the tree of knowledge. So what does that mean? It means we get too deep into our head rather than in our heart and in our feeling. 
You know, we get so deep into the concepts around the source that we've lost the feeling aspect of it. And spirituality is a feeling, not a thinking. And so you have to get back into the feeling aspect of it. In in modern New Age linguistics or language, they would say uh, the masculine or the feminine. Well, the masculine is the thinking brain. The feminine is the feeling heart. And so it's not a gender thing. It's it's a it's a focus thing. Are we focused on thinking our way through this? Or are we focused on feeling our way through this? We have to come back to a, a, a place of feeling because all the troubles we seem to have right now is because people are thinking things rather than feeling the goodness in people's hearts. I've traveled to 30 countries around the world. I have found lovely, wonderful people in every one of them. And what I find is if I go there with a smile on my face, I always get a smile back. Mm-hmm. If I give there giving them love up up front, I get that right back. And to give you a a quick story about how this works in a very practical way, when I, in 2000, I traveled through Egypt. And at one point during that trip, um, I climbed Mount Sinai. Now, the whole time I was there, I was there for a month. The whole time I was there, I was treated like a prince everywhere I went. And when you go to Mount Sinai, you, you start your climb to the top at one o'clock in the morning so that you can be at the top at sunrise. And so I started climbing at one o'clock in the morning at two 30 in the morning on the side of the mountain. So an hour and a half into my climb, I hear someone calling my name, John, John, by the way, really trippy to be on the side of Mount Sinai, hearing your name called in the, the darkness, but um, it wasn't God. It was the manager of the hotel I was staying at running up the mountain to give me his coat. Cause he thought I'd be cold. So that, I mean, that's how I was treated the entire time by everybody in Egypt. Then the next day I ran into an American at St. Catherine's Monastery, which is right at the base of the mountain. He says, Hey, are you American? I said, yeah, I am American. Said, me too. He says, have you been having problems since you've been here? I said, no, everyone's treating me like a prince. He says, everywhere I go, people want to fight me. Mm. And five minutes later, I wanted to kick that guy's butt <laughs> <laughs> because that's what he was putting out. You know, what he was sowing, he was reaping. What he was putting out, what he was giving love, he was getting. If you're giving love, you're giving, getting love. If you're putting out anger and fear, which is what he was putting out, then, he's, then it's going to re- come back to him that way. So, you know, a lot of people get lost in how we ask God for things. They, they have their specific prayers and the way they do things. God is based on focus. He's not fo- not focused on positive or negative at all. He's focused on what you're focused on. Ask and it is given. It doesn't say ask and if it's positive, I'll give it to you. It says ask and it is given. So if you're focused on negative, you will see negative. If you're focused on positive, you will see positive. In Egypt, I was focused on positive experiences. He was focused on negative experiences. And we both got exactly what we asked for. Do you know if Jesus and Mary Magdalene had a child? (laughs) <laughs> this is a, one of, another big question I get. And th- this actually became very popular after Dan, Dan Brown wrote the Da Vinci Code. Mm-hmm. Everyone was like, oh, they must have had a child, no, went off to France and all this stuff. Yeah. Here's what I know. After the crucifixion, Mary, Mag- Mary Magdalene lived with me. And she was not pregnant. And then her family came from Magdala to get her to take her home because she was no longer with Jeshua. Okay. So 
Um, and like, I get that. I, that's another big question I get. But a lot of that wasn't, it didn't even come into existence until that movie came out. Can you give us some examples of the teachings that you learned from Jesus? Yes. Yes. That's the best. Um, let's first start talking about the, the Trinity, because that's a big one. Because everyone, is he the son of God, right? Um, that idea of the son of God did not happen until the Nicene Council when they actually had a vote, is he a man or is he son of God? The way it's described to me by Jeshua, this idea of Trinity, is there's this God consciousness that we're all a part of. And inside of this God consciousness is our individual personalities. We each have these individual personalities. And these individual personalities, we know ourselves as individual, but we also know ourselves as part of this one source, and we have the knowledge of the one source. And then what happens is, so if you if you picture it this way, just here's the, the God consciousness, and then these individual personalities look like little spikes coming off of the God consciousness. Here's where the individuality is, still connected to everything. But as these spikes come down lower, and they come down to what we would call the physical plane, down here in the, in the base bottom of the physical plane is the place where we have fear. And the reason we were given this fear was specifically to know God fully. And the reality is, is that in, in knowing, knowing the separation, you have the ability to then go, okay, I know what I'm supposed to bring to the world. You know, he said, greater works than I have done, you will do. You're the creator of your experience. Those are the, those are big lessons. He also, the, another big lesson, he said, you have to recognize that the, that, that loving, unconditional God that everyone talks about is, is in your every day. It's in every one of your moments. There's only one moment that you experience, and it's your present moment, or as they would say, the I am moment. You know, he would say, if you want something in, in your life, you, you have to get very much focused in the here and now. Because most people sit in this moment and they think about what they want to do or what was done to them in the past. Whereas in reality, every piece of your creation happens in this present moment. That's why amen means so be it, not so will it be or so it was. And that's why when in the Old Testament it says, uh, well, not the Old Testament. Um, I forget which book it is. It says, whatever you ask in God's name is granted. That's the New Testament. But in the Old Testament, Moses climbed the mountain and got to the top and it said, talk to the burning bush, he said, what's your name? And the bush said, I am that I am. So God's name is I am that I am, or I am for short, right? So I am is also present moment statement. So the encapsulation of, of your creative life is all in this present moment. And you can live it lovingly and experience love in your life, or you can live it fearfully and experience fear in your life. You have the, the ability to create any aspect of your life. And the people who are in the fear tend to look at your at the world as um, something that's out to get them. When in reality, you can say, do you remember that person, that, that aunt that loved you unconditionally? That was love. That was the God. That was the source right there. So the source is around you all the time. You're not out in the wilderness. You're only out in the wilderness in your mind in your thoughts, your, what you think you become, you create your world, is what Buddha said. In the Bible, it says, as a man thinketh, so is he. Our creative experience comes from our thoughts, our, our, our mind, and our mind is that tree of knowledge that I talked about just a little while ago, that idea of, of tapping into 
information more so than feeling. And so he, uh, he would say, um, as I said, well, he wouldn't say, but I would, I say it, it's a, it's a feeling, not a thinking, right? It, it comes down to that space. He also, he also, you know, the other thing that came out very clearly in that regression, especially, and you hear me say it in the regression under hypnosis, I say, it's all far simpler than we make it. It's so simple that we have a hard time grasping it because it's so simple. So that, that is how religions and all these things sprung up. Is it was them trying to put structure around something so simple that, that we can't get it because it really does come down to just a feeling. It comes down to just being in that loving feeling. And Jesuit could walk into a room and people would look, turn and look at him because they could feel his presence, right? But most of us have had that exact same experience. I mean, you walk into a room after there's been an argument, most of us go, ooh, this room feels bad, right? That's, that's that feeling, right? And when, when you've also probably known somebody who's walked in the room, you're like, ooh, look at them. And you have that feeling. You know, it's so simple. It's a matter of being in that feeling space. And that's, that's the core essence of his teachings is deliver the, the, the feeling of love and you'll get the feeling of love back and you'll, you'll mitigate your fears altogether. One of the simplest tools you can use is just when you're walking through your life, going through the grocery store, put a smile on your face and just out of, out of an experience, watch what happens to the people you pass when you're just walking along smiling for no reason. You will literally see people do double takes. They'll go like because they're shocked by it. Right. And then what happens next? They smile back because the feeling that you're giving that you're giving the love of God or source or consciousness, yada, yada, whatever you want to call it. I say God because mom was Catholic and she would have kicked my butt if I didn't refer to it as God. But you can call it whatever you want. It's just love. It's just that pure essence of love. And if you can, we're all heading back to that pure essence of love. Did you get any indication of why we keep reincarnating and coming back over and over again? You know, it, it, it's, it's, an, it's a great question because a lot, I get the reincarnation stuff a lot because of, of the past life, of course. I, 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 the why of it is interesting. I think that all of us, you know, I, I have these memories from John, the beloved's life. I don't necessarily know whether I am the one, right? I think there could be a hundred of us with the same, same memories. You know, there could be an army of Johns out there. I think reincarnation in general is just tapping into uh, uh, memories from a, a life, whether it's mine or someone else's. And I think probably there's a lot of people out there who might have the same memories or have the same experiences. Um, I think the, the whole separation from source and this life is literally for experience. And I think that those, you know, we keep reincarnating because we're, we're basically separating from source over and over again and coming down here to experience the separation if I liken it to this, imagine you're in a room made of nothing but pure, unconditional love. And right next to you, you've got a fog machine that, that spews fear, right? Well, the biggest lesson I can give to someone is to say, listen, you're in a room and you've got your hand on the dial and you can crank this dial all the way up and see nothing of love, or you can crank it way down and see a lot of love, but you're in control. Your hand is on the dial. You're the one who is controlling your fears and anxieties. And the only way you do that is by getting very present and making conscious, active choices to live lovingly. 
And if you, if you can do that, you can change anything. Sounds like that you are saying that maybe you had just experienced his life and other people has experienced his life as well. But what makes me curious is why did these 19 people say that you're him? You know, I, I, I have no idea as to why. Um, all I know is that it happened. I know that I didn't want it to happen <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. And I went through a dark night of the soul trying to avoid this thing because I didn't want to be that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, when I <laughs> went, I had 19 psychics tell me, and then I was like, okay, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. But I was still very interested in like Edgar Casey at this point now because it was like, okay, this guy's at least at least documented. And I and I bought a book called Edgar Casey on the Millennium, a little tiny paperback book by Jess Stern. And I'm just reading the book, like what you know, what's he claiming is gonna happen in the future, right? And I'm and all of a sudden I come to a page and it says, John the beloved will again be named John. And I was like, Oh man. <laughs> and I had to I was so it got to the point where it's just like, I just have to I have to look into it anyway. Hmm. I I'm you know, I, I don't have direct knowledge as to reincarnation or why or any of this. You know, I, I, I don't have that in my head. The only thing I can really tap into is the memories of what I what I did get and and the intuition that I get from those memories. Um, but if I don't if I don't know something, I won't I won't say that I know it because I, I, I think that's really wrong. I think a lot of the modern new age gurus will tell you what you're supposed to believe. And I think it limits your ability to find find what you want to do. The greatest lesson I ever got from my mother um, when I turned 18. Now, my mom, she was Catholic beyond Catholic. She had her master's degree in liturgy. She was head of liturgical doctrine at my Catholic church. And when I turned 18, she said to me, John, spirituality is a personal journey. You need to discover what you believe. And she sent me on my merry way. And I started studying, you know, meditation and Buddhism and Hinduism and atheism. And I studied everything I could possibly study. I studied because I wanted to, wanted to find out what it was all about. And um, it was one of the greatest lessons that I, I could have possibly gotten. But I can't, when the regression stuff started happening and all that past life memory stuff started coming up, um, I realized what I didn't know. You know, I realized the things that I, I just don't claim to have. Now I watch, um, I get questions on my YouTube channel all the time. People, in fact, I ask for them, please ask me, you know, any questions. I'll make videos on them. That's how I ended up getting 92 videos is the people on the channels just started asking me questions. So I started making videos to answer their question. And um, the thing that was, was really um, interesting to me is as we were moving through these questions, um, I would find these these questions that I just had no clue. And I would say, you know, I don't have that information. And I found that, that people really liked the fact that I didn't claim to know something, but somebody sent me a message saying they were talking to another, another psychic or another reader. I don't consider myself psychic in any way, shape or form. Um, I consider myself just someone open and whatever comes, comes. Um, They were talking to somebody else who told them that, that they were going to die soon and they were terrified. And I think that's, I think that's, um, Oh, and they also said that um, make sure you don't cremate any of your, your loved ones, because 
even after death, they could still feel the body and you're burning them alive. Right. So these are beliefs put on by these, these new age gurus. And these people are terrified of these things, terrified. of. And, and I'm like, there's no way, you know, th- there's no way that they know, you know, I, I have had out of body experiences. I have, I have done astral travel in my work. I have been in a space where I went across and was standing in a pure expanse of unconditional love. And someone said, you're not supposed to be here yet. And I fell back into body. But the thing that happened when I did those, had those experiences, I did not feel my body because you're separate from the body. The body is a, is a manifestation of the physical realm and you are not there. So the idea that these people are saying that 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 is what's going to happen to you is just creating a new belief. And that, that to me is wrong. Did you tell your mom about your experience? And if so, what did she say? <laughs> my, I told my mom completely. <laughs> I told my mom completely about the experience. My mom's like, okay, okay. And then about a year later, I, I was down there talking with her in Florida. And she says, uh, I have to tell you something. I said, what? She says, I was really worried about you. Mm. I said, really? Why? She says, well, because it's John the Beloved thing. It's a little crazy. I said, yeah, I know. It's crazy. I think it's crazy, too. She went to her priest and she said, I'm worried about my son. Um, he thinks he was an apostle. And her priest looked around, leaned in close and said, don't discount it. It might be true. <laughs> so even her Catholic priest was like, there's something more here. Right. Mm. And when she, my mom passed away um, in the year before her passing, she and I became very close and we talked spirituality and, and no, there was never an argument, never a discussion. It was all about belief and, and structure and, and going to the other side and what that was going to be like. And um, when she passed away, they were cleaning out her house and she found a file folder about this thick of all the stuff she had found out about me online. <laughs> about oh, that wow. past life stuff. <laughs> she was, she was way into it, way into it. Have you ever heard of the book Urantia? I have heard of it. I have not read it. I haven't read. I mean, it's a giant book with, I think, yeah. like 2,000 pages. And I've broken it up into four sections. And I had a Urantia expert on before. And one part of it, or one quarter of it, is about the life of Jesus. Mm. And the book is supposedly channeled by somebody and these two doctors back in the 1930s or 20s. You know, they thought they just had a crazy patient and they, he just kept channeling all this stuff and they wrote it down and there's more story to it. But, um, I was curious if you have ever, ever read it because it, in the book they go through, it's like an extension of the Bible. There's all these stories in there that are not in the Bible and continuations. And for example, I believe Jesus's birthday is like in September. Yeah. And I would be curious to, if you had read that and if you correlate your experiences of with with what's in that book. I, I, I don't know the books. So I really don't, yeah, but the, as far as his birthday is concerned, we didn't celebrate birthdays back then. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> we, oh, we think he was born in the, in the, in the fall or when, when it's time to harvest or whatever. But so it wasn't a, a birthday thing. Um, the reason, according to um, everything I've seen in my studies is the reason it's in December is because that was close to the pagan holiday. And so they put his, his right. birthday near the pagan holiday. Um, the other, the other book that I, that very similar to what you're talking about is called the second coming of Christ by Yogananda. And, and that is a fascinating read. It's two big, two thick books like this, but he talks about 
the New Testament and, and Jesus's teachings side by side with Hinduism. And a lot of that is him tapping into source and, and the, the, the Christ consciousness to answer questions as well. And that's a fascinating read. Um, but as far as, as far as um, me personally having those experiences, I, I, when I read them, I go, well, this, this sounds plausible. And then there are other things that I read that says, well, I don't know about that. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just like everybody else, everybody else when I read those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, like I said, I've known a lot of um, people who want to channel Jesus for me. And I can tell you, you know, when you say you've had this kind of past life memory, psychics come out of the woodwork to channel for you. Mm-hmm. And you get, you get two, two things. You get psychics who want to channel for you or read for you. And then you get people who want you to verify their past life. Mm-hmm. And number one, as far as channels are concerned, I, I, of all of them, if there were a hundred of them that came forward, 99 of them, I got nothing from. And one, there might've been some real boom, hit me in the face sort of situation. As far as um, verifying past lives, I don't do it any longer. Right. When I first, when first people would walk up and I'd say, I feel something. And then I realized that this is just wrong of me. I can't just go off my feelings. I have, to, I have to, if I have visceral memory, absolutely. If I, I have to, I have to be, be very careful because a lot of people want to be apostles, want to be those past lives. And a lot of them, I don't believe are, it's literally their ego in play saying, I was this, I was that. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many people have gone to me and told me they were Peter mm-hmm. and, you know, told me they were Paul and told me, and do I know whether they were or not? I don't. Do I know whether they have the consciousness connection that I, I was talking about earlier? I don't. I don't, because I don't have that knowledge. I decided it's just wrong of me to even, even consider trying to let say, say that they have that connection because it's, it's, as my mom would say, spirituality is a personal journey. If you feel that, go for it, because it's your journey, not mine. Did Jesus talk to you about coming back? And if so, do you know when? Well, true? he did. He he did talk to me about the return, but it wasn't the return the way you think it is, hmm. and it's not the return that most people think of. This is and this is this is my understanding of this. You know, as I said, I can be wrong as well, so I don't want anybody to think I'm. I'm creating doctrine because I'm not. Um, Joshua came here understanding his his higher self-consciousness. He came here aware of that knowledge, and he brought it to the physical plane. He came down and brought that information to us. What's happening right now, and I can I see this very clearly, because when I spoke 15 years ago, it was people were different back then. They They literally... We're very earth plane oriented. And now as I'm speaking, they are very much, they want the information now and they're very much raising their consciousness. I believe the second coming is a, a rise, a raising of consciousness of the masses up into and closer to that higher self that, that he is at. So it's raising the Christ consciousness. Now the word Christ is a word that was added later on. It just means anointed one. And basically what's happening right now is we are stepping into that space of his teachings where we are coming up to that place where, and I talk to people all the time who say, yeah, it just feels right. Or uh, like my channel, like I said, I put up 92 videos and it's all the te- it's all the teachings. And, you know, 
a lot of the teachings come off of their questions. They give me a question and I come back out with the answers. But um, the most gratifying thing that I see is years ago, people wouldn't say this feels right. Or I believe this, this, this feels like truth to me. What I get now is people are saying, oh my God, I've been wanting to hear this for years. And you know, I, I've always known that to be true, but I, I've never heard anybody say it. And now they're saying, you know, this is, so there's a difference. Now they're, they're no longer in their head. They're coming into that feeling space again. And I think that's what's happening. The second coming is us. He, the first time he came to us, the second time we're going to him. Can you give us some examples of some of the most common misconceptions that people have about Jesus? Common misconceptions. Um, well, first of all, he was dark skinned. He did not look like a, like a, like a German painting. Hmm. Right. <laughs> he was an, he was an Arabic man. He did, however, have some anomalies. He had uh, his eyes were a bluish tint and I, and it makes no sense for the air, the, Arab region to have blue blue eyes, but I distinctly remember blue blue eyes. And I did a painting of him, which is on my website as well. And very, very much uh, blue eyed, but dark skin and dark haired. Um, the other misconceptions to see. Um, oh, that he never got mad. He got mad. He got angry. He, he did all the things that humans do. You know, there's a famous story in the Bible of him overturning the, the carts. He got impatient. He got, you know, he would, he would work with people and he would tell them the truth and then they just wouldn't get it. Right. And so he would get impatient. He was a normal individual who, who just had a greater knowledge and a greater understanding. Um, when he was crucified, um, now the memory I have of him being crucified is very visceral. One of the things that that um, people think of the crucifixion, you always you always see him on the cross with the big sign over his head and his feet on a little platform nailed on this little platform in front of the cross. And um, I what I, I have very distinct memories of him being nailed to the cross on the ground. Um, the 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 nails went through here, not here. So that's a big one. And the nails on his feet went through his ankles into the side of the cross. You know, why would you make a platform for them, them to be comfortable on <laughs> when you're crucifying them, right? right? They nailed them to the side of the cross. So his the cross is here. His feet were straddling the cross, nailed in from the side. And when they raised, when they pushed it up, they were, it was a, area where the the ground itself was was rock okay like a like a giant giant rock field almost but it was like one giant stone almost and they had chipped out hole a hole into the rock so that they could drop crosses into it to you know just to stand them up so they would nail they nailed them and as they lifted it up it would drop into the into the into the hole and and so the experience the misconception of him being the, um, on on the cross and having it be very, you know, <laughs> signs and all that. That's all. That's all imagery. Um, see what else? What else? Like we've already talked about the virgin birth. Well, let me ask you this: Was Jesus crucified for the reasons that we get from the Bible, or were there other reasons? Think about this. Um, he was he was becoming very popular. 
And he was telling people that they had the power to create. He was telling people that they, they are, you know, you don't have to worry about the authority because you are the creator, right? The authority does, doesn't like when you go against them like that, especially, you know, authoritarian governments, you know, uh, they, they don't want you to empower the people. And so when they say he died for our sins, he, he, he literally died because he was speaking the truth. You know, he he died because he was bringing a different message than what the leaders were 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 telling us we had to follow, and and so when he when he quote unquote died for our sins, he died to show us our way, and the 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 sins, uh, and I do that very specifically sins, um, the sins of of the people was really the fact is is the human people that were in government, in authority, were afraid of them. So the only real sin there is, is the transgression of fear. And so when, when these people were afraid, he died for the fears of men, basically, because of the fears of men. Was it also that the Roman government was afraid of him? Oh, yeah. And, and the Roman government continued to be afraid of him, which is why Constantine got involved. And and that's 300 years after, would 300 you, years. Would you say it's more the Roman government than the Jewish leaders? Back then, yes. Yeah, absolutely, yes. Um, you got to remember, in, in that time period, it, it was a, it was a, um, a region of Rome. Mm-hmm. And, and Rome was the controlling force in the area. And even <clears throat> the Jewish leaders and all had to, had to go to Rome for approval for anything. And so they, they did not have nearly the power that you think they, they did. The Jewish leaders did not because they were under the foot of the Romans. And what's really fascinating to me, now this is not from memory. This is me studying. And, and the Apostle Paul is the most prolific writer of the New Testament, followed very quickly by John, and then the rest came after. Paul did several things. He gave you all the rules you had to follow. And one of the rules he gave was no man can grow his hair longer than his shoulder because that was the length that Jesus wore his hair, supposedly. Mm -hmm. Well, in that time period, Jewish men wore long hair. The only ones who didn't wear long hair were Romans. And so the other thing is Paul was a Roman citizen. Mm -hmm. So he was a part of Rome. And then he, in the Bible talks about him being imprisoned in in the home of governor Felix. And then, it also says he taught him about Christianity while he was there. So in other words, he lived with a, a Roman governor in a palace for most of his, his career. So the question has to be, if he was a Roman citizen and he was living with a Roman governor and he was giving all these pagans who were becoming Christians the rules they had to follow, was he someone who was doing Rome's bidding or not? You know, I, I don't know, but it's something you have to have to extrapolate from what he was he was saying and doing eventually he was martyred. And the question is, did he, did he have a, an awakening that changed his mind? You also have to remember that Paul was the only apostle. And like I said, the most prolific writer in the Bible of the new Testament um, who never met Jesus in life. He, in the, you know, he supposedly met him as a vision on the road to Damascus. Mm-hmm. And that's how he supposedly met him. So, I don't know. I don't know. I don't have, in fact, it's one of the things I have no memories of Paul because he didn't walk with us. 
And I didn't, you know, he wasn't there with us. So I, I have no memories of Paul. Um, when, so that, that's one thing. And then of course, when, when the Nicene council got formed, you know, Emperor Constantine came to the Nicene Council dressed as the pagan sun god, documented, and did not get baptized until his deathbed, documented. So he lived his life as a pagan and then went to a Christian heaven, supposedly. All right. And then, you know, toga, toga, toga. <laughs> um, and then the other thing is his, his, all the holy sites that we know of from the Bible were all pegged by his mother, who he sent to the Holy Land to find all the holy sites. And the Church of the Holy Sepulcher is built on the spot that his mother said was the site. And then the Mount Sinai that I climbed is the mountain that she claimed was the site. Now, archaeologists say that that was not the site because it doesn't match the the description of how they traveled, right? So the archaeologists were dubious, and they say that Mount Ararat in Saudi Arabia is actually the mountain. And They've done scans around Mount Ararat, and they've found gold offerings around the base of the mountain in, in, in <laughs> over there, which is interesting. In the past 10 years, they've, they've opened the tomb in the Holy Sepulcher, and they went down to the bottom of the tomb, and they tested the lowest thing they could find, and it tested to the time of Constantine's mother. They found nothing older than that time in the tomb. Now, I will tell you, I went to, when I was in, Jerusalem, I went to what's known as the Garden Tomb, which is it's a British archaeological site that they think that this fits the description better of the, the crucifixion. And I went to the Garden Tomb, and as I walked into the place, I started getting nauseous, and I started weeping, I started crying, and I had a very visceral experience in this place. And I had a guy with me who had a very similar story to mine, uh, he, as he remembered being the Apostle Philip, and he doesn't. He won't come out and tell anybody that because he's a very successful businessman and he won't go there. But he walked in. He started having a reaction too, and the two of us were like, "Okay, something's something strange." And um, the closer we got to the hillside, that that the locals call Golgotha, the the locals in the area call it Skull Hill, Golgotha, which is the place in the Bible they say he was crucified. The closer we got to it the the more visceral assassination we got from being there. It, so for me, I'd have to say personally, my belief is is that the the site that I saw that made me have that visceral reaction was the real site. And all the rest of them were, were basically formed to help pagans become Christians. I would assume that Jesus knew what kind of trouble he would be getting into. Was he doing that purposely or or what was his thoughts behind that, if you know, from whatever you know, he he absolutely knew that that what he was saying was controversial and could get him killed, but he also knew he had to say it. He also knew he had to bring this the information out because, um, well, think about it this way: martyrs are remembered, you know, throughout history. It's the only reason we're still talking about them is because martyrs are remembered. You know, he died, and then. All these other people died for him. You know, his brother James martyred, Apostle Paul martyred. The only only one of the apostles that survived until you know he, he died naturally was John. Everybody else was martyred, right? So the idea of of um 
him martyring himself for the truth or for his belief was absolutely something that he was very much um, aware that was going to happen and, and knew full well that eventually there, he, you know, it was going to happen. He knew that it was going to happen. And so he went to the cross for our fears, basically. Well, I'm already over time and I could keep talking to you about this stuff, but I have to um, move it along. So you mentioned your YouTube channel and your website. First of all, what's your website? Johnofnew.com. And it's all one word, J-O-H-N-O-F-N-E-W.com. Um, my YouTube is linked on there. If you want to go there, it's also John of New on YouTube. Um, and um, one of the things I want to do is, is for any, any time I go on any podcast, and I know you don't endorse uh, guests, and I, I applaud you for that. You should never uh, endorse anybody who you just met for the first time. <laughs> um, but I, I think it's very wise of you. Um, but I want to, for anyone, anytime I go on a podcast and interview, I put up a page where the, they can get a discount on some of the private session readings that I do. Um, those readings are very interesting. I sit down and I, I about an hour before I do the reading, I sit down and see if I get any notes and I, I come through and I just get on, on the, uh, on the session with the person and I help them break free of their fears and move towards the other side. So uh, what I'm doing is for, for anybody who is interested in one of those, you can go to the, the link that I'm going to share with Jeff and he can put it in the description or whatever. And um, you can go there and it's a $50 discount on all the, all the readings for anybody who listens to that. Um, if you're interested to know more about the stories and the teachings, I would suggest going to my YouTube channel and then scrolling down to the first videos, because if you go start at the top and go and you work your way down through, you're going to get, the greatest information first, because that's, that was, that was the, the story and all the new stuff coming through. And then what happened over the course of time is people would ask me more and more questions. So the questions got more specific, but if you start at the beginning, you can literally get uh, a real good feeling for what I'm talking about. If people just want to reach out to you and ask you questions, are you open to that? And if so, uh, ab- absolutely. How reach, and how should they find you? Go to johnanew.com and use the contact form there. Uh, and that that will send me an email, and I I read every one that comes in. And if you go to my if you're on my YouTube channel, you put a comment on there. I answer everyone there as well. Well, before we finish up, can you leave us with one positive message? You are the creator of your experience, and all you have to do is take this moment right now and stack a positive moment. Don't try to think of a big change or a big dramatic thing that you're trying to create. Think about staying small and living one positive, loving moment. And then love will surround your life because it'll change your subconscious mind behind you. And that goal that you want is going to start moving towards you and surround your present moment experience. John, thank you for that message. And thank you so much again for being my guest. I really appreciate you and I wish you the best. Thank you, Jeff. It's been an absolute pleasure being here.